Hello, my name is Lily Keenan, and I'm a part of youth here at City Church, and I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lily. Can we all give Lily a round of applause? <laughs> Lily and I have developed a rapport. She's been my scripture reader a couple of times, and now I just request her anytime I have the opportunity to speak. Well, good morning, City Church. Um, welcome you to the day that we all lost an hour that we won't get back until November. Uh, that's awesome, right? Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bodie. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at City Church. I'm also our youth guy. If we got a teenager or two in the house that don't have a, you don't have a place that you worship on Wednesdays, come find me after service. I'll be out in the lobby with some coffee and uh, would love to get to know you. Well, um, we're going to get here in just a moment to the scripture that Lily read to us, but before we get there, I wanted to take us back to really the passage of, passage of Scripture that um, got us into this series that we're in, this Nevertheless series. And it's in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 39 through 46 together. This is what it says, starting in verse 39. And he came and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, throughout this series, we've been taking a laser focus on Jesus' last few seconds of living as a free man as he agonizes in the garden. Uh, and I want you guys to really key in on that word. He is in agony in the garden. Jesus wasn't aloof to the moment. He didn't get to this garden and not understand why he was in the moment that he was in. Jesus wasn't careless with the moment. He didn't walk to this garden like, I don't care what's about to happen to me, everything's whatever, you know. No, Jesus was not careless with the moment. He wasn't combative in the moment. If anybody had a leg to stand on to come to God and be like, man, what is going on? Right? Like, like, I have lived my life for you. I have done nothing but serve you. And this is the place that you have me in. If anybody had a leg to stand on, it is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And yet, he was not combative in the moment. Jesus was present and he was alert to the moment. He knew exactly what awaited him and he agonized in the garden and the mental weight and the emotional weight um, of what would soon happen got to him and yet he says what? Nevertheless, not my will, God, but your will be done. This is something that's been said throughout this series a couple of times and I imagine it will be said again. But the reason that Jesus could surrender his will to the Father so much so that he would go to a cross soon and die for the sins of all mankind was because Jesus had spent his life learning to trust the Father. Pastor Jim last week pointed this out, but, but there's a moment in Jesus' preteen life where um, his mom and dad have gone to Jerusalem and now they're leaving and uh, they're done with the sacrifices. They're leaving the temple and they have to backtrack a, a, a little ways because, man, they forgot Jesus, right? He, he was gone. And so when they find him, they find Jesus in the temple teaching the priests, right? And, and what does he say when, when they, like, get to him and they're like, yo, dude, 
where you been? Why did you run off from us? What does Jesus say to his mom and dad? Don't you know that I must be what? About my father's business or about my father's will. Jesus was fully surrendered to the will of God. Surrender can be a difficult thing for us, and there's a few reasons why that is. Um, Number one, surrender can mean loss or defeat. And in our culture, we're conditioned to win, right? Like we're conditioned to win in the culture that we live in. Surrender can mean giving up when all of our lives we've been conditioned to push on. Surrender means that there is something or someone stronger in our minds. And whether we would admit it or not, we think that can't possibly be. To surrender means that we have to swallow something as Americans. <laughs> Let's just be real in the church today. And that thing is pride. And realize that there are some things that we can't do or shouldn't do. And it's because of this that surrender is one of the more difficult things that we can do. Surrender leaves us vulnerable and that scares us to death. And that's why we look at the life of Jesus. And it's why we put a laser focus on this specific moment to get a better picture as to what a life fully and truly surrendered to God looks like. You might know by now because of the screen behind me that this morning we are going to be talking about surrendering our comfort. And comfort can be a, a, a bit of a funny thing, right? Because I don't think any of us who have the opportunity to uh, get to talk with you guys on a Sunday morning would say that we are anti comfort. Um, in fact, I love the comforts of, of life, quite honestly. Um, I, it was at the start of the new year. Um, I woke up and realized that, man, everything that everybody had ever told me about turning 40 was actually true. I got up out of bed and I tried to step onto the ground and crumbled and found out that my hip had popped out of place. I guess that's, that's a thing, right? And, and, and immediately I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll get over this in a few hours. Nah, no, guys, I'm still suffering. It's like hurts to walk right now. Um, I'm going to chiropractor. He's trying to get me fixed up. But, but I go to him because why? I want to be comfortable, right? I love that we live in the day and age that we live in where if I'm a little bit cool in my house, I can go push a button and I get heat just instantly, right? And, and man, it gets a little too hot, then I can go push that same button just in a different direction, and I get cold. I love the comforts that the day and age that we live in affords us. And I really struggle with people who like to hearken back to the, the good old days as if there's ever been such a thing, right? Like, I, I have a very large family, Um, like a a huge family. And so we have family gatherings all of the time. And somehow I end up in a conversation with the same two people every time I'm at a family gathering. And I love them to death. And so I'm not going to give you their names. Um, But I really do love them. But but they're a little bit older than me by, you know, about 40 years or so. And um, and this conversation always ends up going to back in my day, Blank, 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 you know, fill in the blank. This was better, you know, or whatever. And it's like, but was it really though? Like, did you guys really have it all figured out? Because y'all smoked in delivery rooms, right? (laughs) And I think about those same family members who could look to somebody a couple of decades behind them and be like, I don't know if the 20s and 30s were any better, right? Because you could stub your toe at 13 and die, and, and I know that's all hyperbole, and, but the thing is, is I, and I don't think that we live in some sort of golden era of human history either. Every generation has had obstacle and achievement. But one thing that I do know for certain is that the, the comforts that we are afforded in the day and age that we live in, especially within the context of the culture that we inhabit, at least have some hazards, especially as it comes to this idea of following after Jesus. And so I would stand here this morning and say that we don't have to be anti-comfort, but we should be anti-complacency. Often if we aren't careful, our little creature comforts can hinder us from fully living in to God's kingdom and his ways. And the crazy thing is, is we can be so unaware of this We can literally fool ourselves into believing we're killing it, but when in reality we're we're lazy and given over to our comforts. It's so much easier to put on spiritual blindfolds and skate through life oblivious to our need for change. And the funny thing is, is at the end of the day, we're really not fooling anyone, especially ourselves. 
Think about those times when you go and you lay your head down on the pillow after, after the day is done and, and just like the moments start flooding into your mind of like, man, I, I didn't add up here. I didn't add up there. This, this is, wasn't like, like I'm not living in the kingdom right now. Like I just being completely honest, right? We've all had those. Think of the moments that we've come as the gathered body of Christ and in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh my gosh, me and these people, we're just playing a game. Like, like there's no substance or reality behind any of this. We're just playing a game. These are warning and hazard lights to us that, that we have been given over to our comforts and the desires of our flesh. And so I would say to you and I today that, that as true as that is and as uncomfortable as that is for us to be called out, we don't like to be called out when we've been given over to certain things, do we? So I would just say... Let's lean into this idea of what does it look like to truly surrender. We don't have to be anti-comfort, but we should be anti-dependency. Dependency on our comforts is where neutral or even good things become the lowercase g God in our lives, the things that we put on the throne of our hearts and when we've taken these gifts that God has given us to further or better our families, our lives, our community, our church, and we put those things on the throne of our hearts, then all of a sudden the master-servant um, connection, it's flipped, right? Like, and no longer are, are, are those things there to serve us, but we're there to serve them. They call, we beckon. Those comforts, they call and we beckon. And without even realizing it, we've put them as the God in our lives. And again, we don't like to be called out on this. This is why I love this season of the church calendar that we find ourselves in, this Lenten season, when we are actively like letting go, starving our flesh of certain comforts in life and, and putting a, a greater focus and emphasis on Christ and his life, God begins to reveal just how given over to some things we actually are. And again, we don't like to be called out on this, but it is the loving kindness of Jesus to call out when we've put something else in his place. And if we truly thought that he knew the best way to life, then we would lean into that all the more. And so I'm here to tell you today, I think that he might know the best way to life. In this story that Lily just read to us just a moment ago uh, of the rich young ruler, um, we're going to get to that. And I think there's a handful of things that we can find in this story and, and we'll see just how easy a neutral or good thing can become the God in our lives. Something that if we let go of or even just became independent of, feels like we've lost everything. And so I, I love this story for a number of reasons, but I think in this story we're going to find that our stories converge really similarly to this rich young man. And so let's jump into the text today, and we're going to go with point number one. And the first thing that we see in this text is eagerness. Verse 17 says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, oftentimes I think this rich young ruler that, that we see in text here, um, see in the scripture here, he gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, I don't know how many of you have have viewed him in this way, but, but often in the church it's taught that he's a little bit smug, right? A little arrogant, a little puffed up, if you will. And, and honestly, I've taught him that way. I've been the young, arrogant person and taught that this rich young man was an arrogant like, dude, right? And I don't think that that's truly what the text is actually presenting to us. Ronald Rollheiser in his book, Sacred Fire, and I'm going to loosely quote this because apparently a lot of people are quoting uh, Ron in this series. And so in his book, he says something to the extent of this, that I wish we all could forget that we've ever heard this story. I wish we could all forget that we've ever heard this story and, and come to it together for the very first time because I think we would find a different person than what we all think he is. If we could lay aside our prejudices of this young man and say, man, he might not be that much different than us. Give him a little bit of grace and let's see if his life can teach us anything. 
Because here's the deal. When we come to this text with this preconceived notion that this dude is smug, arrogant, and proud, then it's so much easier for us to not see ourselves in the text, right? It's so much easier for us to not see ourselves in his life and in his story. But the truth of the matter is he is anything but smug or arrogant or puffed up or proud. This young man runs to some random carpenter turned teacher who his teachers would despise and he falls down on his face in front of them, in front of him. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's no smug, arrogant posture there. There's a posture of humility. There's a hunger inside of him, an eagerness even inside of him. He realizes that something's missing. Something's missing in my life, and I think this guy might have the answer. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to humbly fall on my face before him and beg him to show me the way. This young man was searching for something that we're all searching for. He realized deep at a soul level that there was something not quite right or that something was missing. And I think within most of us, there is an eagerness or a hunger to, to know that, that we're in, that we've made it. There's this hunger or eagerness to want to know. And I think there are times much like this season that we find ourselves in, that we look inside and examine the soul, take inventory, and eager for Jesus to do a work on our hearts like, um, like our young man in this story. The thing is, guys, not only can we find ourselves in this story, we in so many ways are the young man in this story. So he eagerly approaches Jesus. The second thing that we need to look at in this text is certainty. This man approaches Jesus and he is eager. And Jesus looks at him and he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God. You know the law, right? And, and so Jesus begins to basically lay out the law in short form for this young man. And again, we're taught that he's proud and he's arrogant. Oh my gosh, all of these I've kept since my youth, right? But if we knew the cultural context within where this story is being taught or, or told, then we could at least assume that this first century Jewish young man probably did his very best to keep all of the law. Like he's like, murder, sweet, check, got it, didn't do that, right? I, I'm not a murderer, so that's cool. Um, no stealing, I don't think I've stole anything. I, I'm pretty great there. Honor your mother and your father, like, like, and this is where he loses us, like where our stories completely separate for a moment because we do not do a good job in our day and age of honoring our mother and fathers. But a first century Jew, high regard for mother and father. And so when I think about this young man and his certainty of looking at Jesus in the eyes and saying, all of these I've kept since my youth, this is not a proud moment. This is a moment of hope for this young man. Like he's like, oh my gosh, all of these things I feel like I've done a pretty good job at, so I must be a good person. I'm actually in. I'm a good person, and this confirms it. But ultimately, good isn't what he's searching for, and good isn't what Jesus is after. Jesus is looking for complete surrender. So he points out the third thing that we need to look at in this text, and that is lack. Our text says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then responded with one thing you lack. We can't look past that it is the loving kindness for Jesus to call out our lack. Again, if we truly thought that he knew best, we wouldn't see it any other way. As Jesus pushes against the spiritual pressure points of our lives, against the comforts we've become so dependent on, whether knowingly or not, Jesus is inviting us into deeper levels of dependency on him. So specifically for our young man in this story, we see that the comfort that had become like the God in his life was his possessions, wealth, things that he acquired. These were the good or neutral things that he had become too dependent on. So Jesus says, sell all that you have, and this part is interesting, and give to the poor. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor. I've been taught this my whole life that um, that. Jesus says, sell 
all of your possessions and then give it all to the poor. And I am not a learned person. I am not, I don't have like theology degrees and things like that. So most likely that's what Jesus meant. But if we could just step over here for a moment and say, that's not actually what the text even says here. It says, sell your possessions and then give to the poor as if Jesus didn't even give him an amount to give. He's just like, just give something. So we could maybe even infer from this text that Jesus realized that this call to surrender was really difficult. And he was going to do a work in this guy's life. As he starts to surrender, he's going to ask for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. We talk about this at City Church so often, this idea of the slow work of God in our lives. This idea of the slow work of God in our lives. And how many of you could raise your hand and say, I, I kind of know that to be true in my life. I kind of experience that. I kind of feel that. All of us wish that, that we could come to Jesus and then all of a sudden, boom, we are like, we are Jesus. You know, like we're, everything is good. Everything is right. I'm fully surrendered always, all the time. I don't do anything wrong. Everything is great in my life now. But how many of you know that that lived out experience isn't quite like that. It's not quite like that. It is a day after day Jesus doing surgery on our broken hearts. We give our lives to God and in that moment, the moment that we realize our need for our Savior and we confess that need for a Savior, then positionally, we're in. Positionally, God looks at us and he sees his beloved son, his beloved daughter. But, but we know, like, even though we know we're holy in the eyes of God, we know there is a work that God is still doing on our lives day after day after day. Uh, an adding to and a pulling away, an adding to and a pulling away until we look more and more and more like Jesus. It's difficult. And again, none of us like to be called out on this. But if the one who is calling us out is loving us in the best way possible, then we can either look at that as unbelievably intrusive or the greatest thing that could ever happen to us in our lives. And the choice really, at the end of the day, is up to you and I on how we view that. Do we view the call of surrender on our lives from Jesus as his loving kindness. This next point that we're going to get to is where so much of our stories can converge. This is the opportunity that we have to diverge from the story. The last point that we're going to look at this morning is disappointment. The call to surrender the neutral or even good things that had become the idols of his life, of this young man's life, were ultimately too great for him to let go of. Jesus says, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow me, right? You'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. And it says that the young man went away what? Scripture doesn't say that he went away a bad person. Scripture doesn't say that this young man went away a mad person. It says that he went away sad because he had great possessions. He went away sad because he had great possessions. He was seeking something from Jesus. He had a lot of good going on, but, but again, good wasn't what Jesus was after. Jesus wanted all of him. We don't know how this story ends. This young man could have gone home prayed about it, thought about it, got along with the father, and then came back to Jesus a few days later with a check and said, here it is, here's everything, give it to whoever you want. This young man could have gone on to live a long, successful life and died at a good, ripe age. We don't know how this story ends for the young man, but we know that our stories can go a different direction. As Jesus comes to us and he says, this is what I want you to give up. This is the thing that is on the throne of your heart and I need you to surrender that to me. Whether it's comfort, whatever that comfort may come from. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it could be anything. It could be the AC that I was talking about earlier. But whatever the comfort is that's on the throne of our hearts, when Jesus comes to us and says, I want that. I want you to surrender that to me. Will we gladly surrender all of that or will we go away sad? The choice is really up to us. 
Most of us could probably finish this passage of scripture, right? The young man, he goes away sad because he has great wealth. And then Jesus looks around at his disciples and he says, it is really difficult for wealthy people to get into heaven, for the rich to get into heaven. And the disciples are blown away by this. They're shocked. Like, how is that even possible? And so Jesus doubles down. And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, we're all tracking, right? We know the story. Then it is for the rich to inherit eternal life. And again, the disciples are like blown away at that point. And so Jesus says what the famous lines, the disciples say, then who can be saved? Then who can inherit eternal life? And Jesus says these, this famous line, with man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible, Right? Now, how many of us can continue the story? We all can. If you're on cc.guide, it's in your talk notes. I've got it right here on my iPad, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter looks at Jesus and says, man, we've surrendered everything. Everything that's ever brought us a piece of comfort everything that's ever brought us like a hint of joy. We've surrendered all of that. So what does that mean for us? And this passage of scripture has always kind of baffled me in, in, in my life of reading scripture. It's like, what, what's happening in this moment? Jesus would seem to look at his disciples and say, all of you, who have walked away from everything, jobs, families, friends, all of their comforts. Again, Pete says everything. We've left everything. And from time to time, Peter gets a bad rap in scripture for being a little bit dumb and, and brash and saying things out of turn, right? But I don't think that's what's happening in this moment. I genuinely think that Peter is very coherent in this moment. He says, Jesus, we have left everything to come follow you. And I feel like Jesus meets him in this moment. Jesus meets him in this moment and says, I see you, I know where you're at. And there's nobody who's left jobs, moms, dads, wives, brothers, sisters, children, houses. There's none of you that aren't gonna get it back. And guess what? You're gonna get it back a hundredfold. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, that's like knocking on the door of prosperity, and prosperity scares the crap out of me. So what's Jesus actually saying in this moment? I think that Jesus is looking at Peter and his disciple, the rest of his disciples, in this moment and says, Look, everything that you ever truly desired, everything that you've ever truly wanted, everything that could ever bring your soul the comfort that you long for is found in me. And I'm going to give it to you. And he looks at Peter and says, and I'm gonna prove it this way. Here in a moment, I'm gonna leave you. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be with the Father. And guess what, Peter? You're gonna establish a church. You're gonna establish a church. And within this church, you are going to find spiritual mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers and friends who are going to be a spiritual household for you. And where my peace will reside where you will find true comfort and contentment for the soul. The best way that I can say this, guys, comfort is a complicated matter to deal with. What's too much? What's too little? Is it the same for people all across the board? Are these even the questions that we should be asking this morning? Comforts are a hard thing to walk away from. And so I wanna challenge all of us this morning as we get ready to close with this. In this season of Lent, as we are actually starving the flesh to feed the soul and look to Jesus and what it looks like to surrender all of us to him. 
my challenge is this for you, to get alone with the Father. Get alone with the Father and begin a conversation with him. If there are comforts that have become the God in your life, whether good, bad, or indifferent, whether these comforts are the good things or, or they're the bad things or they're the neutral things, if there are comforts in your life that you have placed on the throne of your heart, then repent, confess that to the Father. Pray to Holy Spirit and ask him to do what he does best, namely help. And then let's surrender our life to Jesus and let him do a work inside of us so that he can work through us to see God's kingdom come for his glory and his fame. City Church, would you stand with me this morning? As we take the next few minutes just to kind of reflect on this idea of surrendering our comforts and are there comforts that I do need to surrender? Is, is Jesus asking me that question today? I want you to close your eyes in this space. Take that time. Maybe start that conversation with the Father now. sorrows, our discomfort and in our comfort, we come to the table and we remember Jesus. And one of the things that we've added as a practice to this, to take us deeper into that is our table liturgy. It's going to be on the screen behind me and I'd ask you to read it with me this morning. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burden, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God's taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. On the night that he was betrayed, scripture tells us that Jesus gathered in an upper room with his closest of friends and he gathered around the table. And while there, he took a piece of bread and he lifted that bread to heaven and he blessed it and then he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, blood of a new covenant, blood 
that will wash you white as snow. I want to invite the communion team to come up to the front this morning. And as they make their way up, I just want to pray over us one more time. God in heaven, we thank you for this sacred time and this sacred space as we remember our Savior. God, I pray that this would be no little thing that we do. God, but this would be the center of our lives as we realize that Jesus came and he died so that we could have life with you. Father, would you move in this space? Would we make space in our minds to really reflect and to remember as we step into this act of taking the body that was broken for us and the blood that was poured out for us? May this be a time of just absolute worship of Christ's sacrifice. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you're taking communion with us this morning, you can step out, go to your right, um, exit your road to the right and come up, receive the elements. If you would rather use our um, old school to-go elements, we have those up here with you as well, or for you as well. And so just whenever you feel good and ready, you can come to the table.
to lay down every hindrance. He has pleasures, joy, hope for eternity. And He is offering it to us. So I invite you to press in right now. These last few minutes, just press in. Sunday morning at 8.30. This is an opportunity for us to come together as a body and, prayer corp and pray corporately um, for our services, for our members, and however God leads. One of the things that came up in prayer this morning were people, um, we just saw people coming into the service heavy, um, going through hardship, trials, tribulation, and really questioning God's love. It's what I kept getting in my heart, that people were questioning God's love for them, um, questioning their faith, questioning their life, and so if we just bow our heads, I just wanna pray over you this morning. And I'm gonna just say a prayer that Paul prayed. He wrote this letter to Ephesus as they were doing, enduring some persecution and hardship. He wrote him this letter to remind them. He said, he said, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. And may you having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, that you would be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, all of God's people, the width, the length, the height, the depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. He prayed that you, would, that you may become more and practically through personal experience, that you get to experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you would be filled throughout your entire being to the fullness of, with the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life. Father, I pray for every person in here that you would reveal your love. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move across every person, move upon every heart in this place today, that you would reveal Jesus, that you would reveal the love of the Father towards them, that they would leave here knowing that they are loved by God. And I pray that every lie that they have believed, every lie of doubt, doubting their faith, doubting your love, I pray that you would replace that lie with revelation knowledge, a revelation knowledge of Jesus this morning, that they would walk here knowing Jesus in a greater way, that they would leave here knowing that they're loved in Jesus' name, amen. And just a reminder that if you are here today and you need prayer or want somebody to pray with you about something, we have prayer partners on each side of the stage here, and you're welcome at any time to go pray with them, and they are happy to pray with you. Um, if this is your first time at City Church, guests, we just want to remind you that our welcome room is at the back of the sanctuary. Um, Pastor Matt and Lindsay would love to meet you, and thank you for coming. And then for everyone else, this is home, and so our lobby is large. It's very big, and we need your help in greeting people and if you see someone new like go meet them help us make church feel like family so let's close out our service the way the way we do every week and then go live it out so wherever you are be the gospel thank you have a great week